Hello, this is Terry McCarthy with Truth Matters. This will be my first live podcast, and I'm glad that you're joining me. I hope you'll help me work out some of the kinks. It'll take a while probably to get everything uh, just the way I want it, but you got to cut your teeth somewhere. And this week, I want my podcast to be on the topic of chariots not so on fire. Remember the Academy Award-winning film Chariots of Fire? It's the true story of Olympic athlete and gold medalist Eric Little, known as the Flying Scotsman. Little had the eyes of the world on him when he refused to run his best event, the 100 meters at the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris. He held the world record for that event, and in global competitions, he'd never lost. But on a hot summer's day in 1924, Eric Little refused to run. Why? Because the 100 meters race was held on a Sunday and Little wouldn't run on the Lord's day. Eric Little was a true evangelical and the world took notice as he made a stand for his faith and refused to compete on the Sabbath. It was awesome. I still cry just thinking about it. After university and the Olympics, Little returned to his birthplace of China where he continued his parents' missionary work in the Northeast. Eric Little died in a Japanese concentration camp during World War II. He refused to be evacuated with other expats. As a result, he was imprisoned, and there he spent his life ministering to his fellow prisoners until his death in 1942. Eric Little is a true hero. He is a man of faith. Eric Little is a brilliant role model of what Christianity should look like. I think you might be wondering, where in the world is she going with this? Well, since 1990, the National Football League, known as the NFL, has been playing its games on Sundays. I don't know when the church changed its attitude about sports on Sunday, but I do know that I have seen a dramatic shift just in the last 20 years. Kid sports were never played on Sundays. Even for those who didn't consider themselves churchgoers, Sunday was usually reserved for family and, yes, a day of rest. But I watched uneasily as public schools and city leagues sporting events started encroaching on the Sabbath. I remember the discomfort I felt when our pastor, and we were at a very large evangelical church, announced from the pulpit that his wife and daughter were missing service so their daughter could participate in a national gymnastics meet. Sports over church had made a full inroad, and we all forgot about the Flying Scotsman. Well, now we've got the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. This Sunday, our associate pastor stood up to deliver his message. We're in Kansas City, and the Chiefs were playing in the Super Bowl. Behind him on the big screen was a giant picture of Patrick Mahomes in his red jersey and trademark headband. That picture of Mahomes stayed on the big screen as the young pastor described Mahomes as a hero, as an icon, and yes, a celebrity much like Jesus. He compared how crowds wanted to touch them and hug them and to feel as if they knew them, Jesus and Patrick Mahomes. References were made to the big game, and at one point, tongue-in-cheek, 
The preacher smiled and claimed a chief's victory in the name of Jesus. Yeah, I struggled with that. Twitter, Facebook, news programs, and online newspapers were reporting Mahomes' great faith and how Christianity plays a major role in the Chiefs franchise. In fact, one of the articles I read made it sound like God anointed the Chiefs for football. And then there was the halftime show. Several congregations in our area played the game at their churches. They actually hosted Super Bowl parties and cheered and made it an everyone's welcome event. I'd like to know how they handled the halftime show. How'd they explain to kids watching the game that, yes, we support and watch football, but what happens at the halftime show isn't appropriate, so we turn it off. Does that seem a bit inconsistent? And what did born-again believers do who had forked out the big bucks to attend the live game? Close their eyes? Notice I'm not mentioning the children in cages who actually participated in the pole dance extravaganza. And we wonder why pedophilia and sex trafficking is on the rise. If you get a chance, take a look at the Washington Times article. Just Google Super Bowl and sex trafficking. What an eye-opener. So, after the Super Bowl, many were crying out against what happened this year at the halftime. But Janet Jackson and her wardrobe malfunction in 2004 demonstrates a long-time history of sensuality and not family-friendly programming supported by the NFL. The black-eyed pea sang Puppet in 2011, and don't forget Creepy Madonna in 2012. And then, there's the cheerleaders who once were not even allowed to show their belly buttons on national TV. My, how times have changed. I've heard the new standard of cheerleading described recently as sex on the sidelines. I'm honest enough to say here that I feel sorry for young Christian boys who have to struggle with temptation anyway and then have those images flash in front of them on NFL Sundays. No matter what you think about this, you have to admit it does send a mixed message to evangelical youth, don't you think? You know, it's more than just a sport. Sadly, the NFL is not just about football. It's not just about the sport. If it were, pro athletes wouldn't be paid such exorbitant salaries, and they wouldn't take those salaries. So it's never just about the love for the game. It's about the money. It's an old expression, but it's a true one. If you want to get to the root of something... Follow the money. One of the primary problems I have with the NFL is its sponsors. NFL sponsors of the 2019-2020 season kicked in a combined total of $1.1 billion. Number one contributor was Anheuser-Busch with $230 million this season. I'm not going to touch that. Just let that stand on its own. Nike chipped in $120 million this year. You remember Nike, don't you? They pulled from the shelves the 4th of July sneakers in 2019 because they had the Betsy Ross flag and Colin Kaepernick felt they were too white supremacist for his taste. Betsy Ross, she was a Quaker for pity's sake and opposed to slavery. She never owned slaves. She preached against slavery. Can you believe it? And then there's good old Caesar's Palace, Las Vegas. Yep, 
the casino. They chipped in $30 million this year to sponsor the NFL. Good family fun. A report I read published in 2009 states that gambling, specifically Las Vegas, is the backbone of organized crime. Pause and let that sink in. I certainly had to. Then we've got the injuries that change lives. Over the years, the NFL has become less of a sport focusing on the skilled and talented players and more a league of gladiators. It seems to me the players are pounding each other into the ground for the viewer's amusement. Isn't that gladiator-like? While the NFL has become undoubtedly more popular over the past few decades, there is a major downside to the sports. Serious, life-altering injuries. Injury data just for 2017 showed an increase in concussions suffered by players. Now remember, a concussion is a severe injury that can result in lifelong problems for these men. Some of those issues might not even show up for 10 years. Data compiled by an independent third party showed that 13.5% increase in diagnosed concussions just from 2016 to 2017. Putting that in real numbers, 243 players who got concussions increased to 281. And this is the NFL. Nearly half, that's 47% of all concussions, were being flagged by players' doctors and independent neurological specialists because players didn't want to report symptoms fearing an end to their careers. Maybe you remember Daryl Stingley's career in the NFL. It ended in 1978 when he was hit so hard by another player that his back was broken, and Stingley never walked again. Dennis Bird collided with a player and broke his neck. That resulted in a career-ending injury and paralysis. He also died in 2016 at 50. Chuck Hughes died on the field in 1971, and estimates are that 20 players a year nationwide and at all levels are paralyzed in football injuries. Then there's domestic violence. Incidence of domestic violence in the lives of NFL players is 54% higher than for any other professional athlete in any other sport. In fact, there are an average of 80 domestic violent violence arrests each year of NFL players, making it by far the NFL's worst category of crime. So serious injury, disrespect for the nation that gives these professional athletes the opportunity to earn millions playing a sport, sponsorship from companies with less than family-friendly ethos, domestic violence, and the exploitation of women both on the sidelines as well in recent halftime shows. All of these things make me wonder, why are Christians so gung-ho for the NFL? NJ.com is an online magazine, and they ran an article to coincide with this year's Super Bowl called Super Bowl, Religion Runs Deep for Many NFL Players and Teams. Quoting from that article, I see a statement made by Seattle's Chris Moragos. It's everything for us, Chris Moragos says. We understand that we can't do any of this on our own. You look at what guys have been able to do in football and the strength that God gives us, that's really where we draw everything that we have. 
That's a cornerstone of what we rely on. Faith and football. One player says, oh, I'm sorry, he's not a player. He's actually a sports writer. He says, themes of adversity, dedication, and striving to improve have always seemed tied together. Players and pastors frequently use themes of war to describe the physical and spiritual battles they encounter on the field and against sin. This is a direct quote from Matthew Santmeyer. The NFL and faiths such as Christianity and Catholicism share Sunday as their marquee day. You can't make this stuff up, people. Seth Dowlin is an American religion uh, history professor at Pacific Lutheran University in Tacoma. He says, there is a sense that we have to fight, and football provides the best metaphor in all of sports for that. There's something about the adversarial nature of the game that appeals to evangelicals who have for decades, if not for centuries, felt this sense of being at war, whether it's spiritual war against Satan or cultural war against forces of secularism. How ironic. Forces of secularism. Well, in my opinion, the NFL is a force of secularism. Oh, so as I got glimpses of the Hero Super Bowl parade here in Kansas City, I would just walk by the television and see a little bit of the ticker tape parade. I couldn't help but notice Patrick Mahomes chugging beer after beer and slamming the empty cans onto the ground below the team bus. I even saw him throw beer from the team bus out to the crowd, not knowing if underage drinkers would gather those beers. And it was supposed to be a no-alcohol event. Even news commentators talked about the awkwardness of being there with their kids. One commentator I listened to on Channel 4, he said, It's horrible. I finally had to take my kids home. I got tired of trying to explain to them a second set of rules. One Chiefs player interviewed, loved using the MF explicative in a live interview. So I reflected on all the Facebook articles and Twitter feeds hailing Mahomes and other players as faith-filled, faith-influenced men. And I remembered the gigantic big-screen picture of Patrick at my church as the young associate pastor compared him to Jesus. I don't know. I wish the NFL didn't play on Sundays. I wish that pastors didn't make sports analogies or make heroes of football players in Sunday morning sermons. I wish I didn't hate that halftime stuff and all the crud on the sidelines. But I do. Just a few years ago, I went to a women's prayer group where one of the ladies had a ministry to the chief's cheerleading squad. Don't get me started. The woman spoke of how godly the girls were and how wonderful they all got along. And then she prayed for the chiefs. And the Lord is my witness. This is what she prayed. Lord, I thank you for the chiefs and how their uniforms reflect you and your kingdom. The red is for the blood of Jesus. The white for us being washed white as snow. And the gold represents the streets of gold we will walk on one day.
As you can imagine, I have a history of problems with the NFL and how the church responds. Eric Little's sister asked him once while, uh, why he insisted on racing. And he answered her, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his good pleasure. That was my Scottish brogue. Eric Little refused to run on a Sunday, even though he would have certainly taken the gold. He was an Olympic gold medalist, and he ran the 400 meters in Paris and won that. But he used his platform to preach the gospel, and he would never accept a public appearance unless he had the freedom to speak Jesus' name and give the plan of salvation. Church, where have we gone? What has happened to us? Are we so eager to love the things of this world that we are willing to make heroes of people who are not really heroic? I mean, Patrick Mahomes lives with his girlfriend. Do y'all remember when we used to call that living in sin? How's that an example for young people? How is he an example in a sermon? A longtime friend of Daryl's, just an old-time country preacher, wrote this last week, and I want to end this podcast with the words of Reverend Charles Hayton. Reverend Hayton says, My observation, the real heroes in America are not the few men kicking, tossing, and carrying a football in front of an excited America, but the 300,000 men and women who are dedicated to the ministry of the gospel, a gospel that saves people from sin and hell, gives them wisdom and guidance as they attempt to navigate through a life that is sometimes confusing and difficult, a gospel that gives comfort amid the sorrows of life. Most live in relative obscurity, exist on substandard salaries, and live in substandard housing. Struggling to provide for their family, they will never be honored in a parade attended by a million people. But they will have a grand welcome into heaven someday to hear from God himself. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Well, I hope this podcast has encouraged you, challenged you, maybe even confirmed to your heart something that you've been feeling for a very long time. I'd love to get your feedback. There's a place to respond. And as I said, I hope you'll be patient with me as I learn to work out the kinks. I'm not a professional podcaster, but I play one at home. Thanks for tuning in, because truth matters. This is Terry McCarthy, signing out.